0: Oh man, at this rate, we're never going to finish this show before Jason
1: has to. No, that's all right. I don't particularly want to record Brainstorm tonight anyway. We're having a guest on. Who's the (laughs) guest? (laughs) DJ.
2: Wow, I walked right into that. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Right into that one.
3: (laughs) That was just so matter of factly set up. That was too easy. That was too
2: easy. That's the straw that
0: broke me. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck-building site on the web for the Commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan.
3: Joey, did you know that when a woman is giving birth, she's literally kidding?
0: That's, oh, I'm never prepared for your dad jokes, Matt. That's fine. Just absolutely never.
3: I'm just joking.
0: You're the absolute worst, Matt. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look
2: in the margins, Dana Roach. Matt, your dad joke has rendered me speechless. You have delivered 20 Commander damage to my brain. i got nothing else to say. (laughs) And I'm
0: Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. Ladies and gents, please welcome our returning guest, the content manager of EDHREC himself, Jason Alt.
1: Why? Why did I just not put myself on this podcast permanently? I don't. I don't know. Can kind of come back as a guest? That's. Uh, I feel like I'm groveling. It's like, oh, please, can I come on the podcast? Well, I
2: think. I think, <laughs> I think the goal was to have it succeed.
1: Oh, got me.
2: Ooh.
1: Ooh. What do I know about casting? <laughs> all right, good one.
2: You are
0: spreading yourself pretty thin recently, actually, Jason. You're guessing on a bunch of podcasts nowadays.
1: I wouldn't say I'm spreading myself thin if I as much as I'm spreading the good word about the EDH Redcast.
0: And we appreciate every word of those good words.
1: Well, you need it. I've seen your download numbers. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, oh, yeah, <laughs> it works both ways. So, yeah, Jason, he's the reason we're all here. So if you don't like the show, blame him. If you don't like the show, why are you listening? Like, (laughs) I'm going to give them like 40 or 45 more episodes, then I'm done.
3: (laughs) It's quite the trial period, but, you know, we'll we'll take it.
1: Hey, man, you you can't you can say that, like, maybe they're they're wrong in their opinion, but they're not being unfair. Like, they gave you guys a shot and you blew it. So no one to blame but yourselves.
3: or, Or are they wrong because they're quitting 45 episodes in like that? Once they're they're committed.
1: Yeah, you might as well listen to the whole run of the podcast. Most podcasts don't make it 45 episodes. You guys did it. You made (laughs) it. Hopefully we can
0: make it many more than just that. Anyway, Jason, we wanted to have you on to discuss a couple of the things that you're pretty well known for in the EDH community, things like 75% theory and also MTG Finance as well, but you don't get a chance to talk about your decks very often. You're so entrenched in the MTG Finance stuff that we don't really get to hear about the decks that you actually play. So we wanted to have you on to talk about your Xantra deck, because it sounds pretty awesome.
1: Oh, I wasn't prepped for that. I thought we were going to talk about... No, I don't know. I got nothing. I thought it would like, be funny to pretend to be less professional, but like at this point, why don't we just like do a serious episode of this podcast and let's uh, talk about some magic cards. What do you folks say?
0: Yes, indeed. Sounds like a good plan. First, let's kind of go over, though, you've... Pretty, become pretty famous for developing the 75% theory in deck building. And I know that you've talked about it a whole lot on podcasts, but do you mind giving the listeners a quick definition?
1: Yeah, I've written 250 plus uh, articles on the subject. So I would love to try to distill that in like a 20 second soundbite. Um, <laughs> luckily, most people are like, I read the article. I'm like, do you mean the first article of those 250 that I wrote in like 2014? They're like, yeah, that, the article. So what I've gone back and done is I've put a header at the top of that article uh, that says, hey, here's a better one to read. So um, if you type 75% EDH into Google, chances are you're going to get an article that comes up called Building a 75% EDH Deck. Um, There's a link at the very top of that to an article called Eight Simple Rules for Playing in My Commander Group. I think that's a better article to read. I had been writing for about 10 months at that point, which still... Is a short amount of time in the grand scheme of a five years long series. But I think um, I figured a lot of stuff out in those 10 months. So if you read one article about 75% EDH deck building, read that one. Not the very first one I wrote when I didn't even really understand. I would have to come up with a whole like ethos. So the elevator pitch for 75% deck building is uh, if you're playing with people you don't know, like in a GP or just like new people at the shop or what have you. I don't want to have a lot of decks that are just going to sit in my bag, right? Like that I can't play because I'm like, ah, oh, this deck could be too strong for this group or this is too cute. And I'm going to get pub stomped. Chances are, if you're playing with a group of unknown people, they're not going to try to bring a pub stomper deck into it. They'll play with something just like a regular deck for playing with people. So your deck should be able to beat someone who is on like the uh, more highly tuned side of that kind of deck. And you're not going to pub stomp someone who's playing with like Ramirez de Pietro Pirate Tribal. So I kind of say 75% is kind of qualitatively between like 50 and And 150 is kind of like a half ass deck and 100% is like I tune this up to win. I feel like you're trying to just aim in that sweet spot where you're not going to be too cute or I guess too efficient or too consistent. So you'll probably uh, aim to win like one out of every X games where X is the number of people playing. So if you're playing a four or five person pod, you'll maybe win 20, 25% of the time. It's uh, it's had a lot of refinements over the years because I kind of thought some stuff originally that didn't really pan out. And just uh, every time I have an epiphany from someone else showing me their deck or you know just playing a ton of games, I, I add to the thing. So it's sort of like a living document almost. So definitely don't just read the very first article because you're, you're missing out on the benefit of five years of refining the, uh, the deck building theory, definitely. Well,
2: uh, how, how often, Jason, do people misunderstand what it means and approach you uh, uh, say, saying it incorrectly? Or do you see someone writing about it, that kind of thing? And what are some of the weirder misunderstandings you've seen?
1: Every day. <laughs> Every time somebody talks about it on Reddit, like most of the people are wrong. And they'll say, I read the article. Some people are like, it means you win 75% of your games. And say, "It i not mean." I've heard that one before. Oh, it doesn't mean that. Well, why is it called 75% then, you stupid idiot? And I'm like, well, that guy makes a good point. <laughs> what I should have done was let Gathering Magic fire me and then gone and done stand-up comedy full-time. So, you're right. I shouldn't have called it 75% because that kind of leaves it open. Like, it sounds like there's no way it could be qualitative. If I called it 3 quarter asked maybe people would be like, "Oh, I get it." But like the fact that there's a very specific percentage A makes people think, "Oh, it's it's there's no way it's qualitative, it's got to be quantitative." And B it leaves them up like, "Well, my deck's 79%." And then
0: one that I've seen is that people think that it means that your deck is only 75% constructed.
1: Yeah, a guy told me that and um I said, "Well, no, that's not what it means." He's like, "Yeah, well, you don't have the copyright on the term 75%." So <laughs> I quit three magic Facebook groups after that. (laughs) Not even just that one. I quit some other ones just in case. So like.
3: (laughs) Just covering all your bases.
1: I'm being really glib right now. Like I kind of sound like I I can't deal with. I'm just I'm I'm being glib for the most part. Seventy five percent of the feedback I get is people saying, hey, I've always built this way. It didn't have a name. Thank you. You know, this is this is something that resonates with me. And like the other 25% is people accidentally or willfully misconstruing it or it's the the competitive EDH people that are like you couldn't beat my turn to hermit droid deck. And I'm like, that's cool. Like I'm, I've i made a lot of mistakes in uh, in constructing the, the theory over the years. And that's why I've, I've been lucky to have five years to refine it because I'd hate it if my first draft were like it because there were a lot of assumptions I made because I just hadn't done any testing. So I feel like I've refined over the last five years. I've sort of softened my position on certain tutors about the kind of land destruction and the kind of stacks stuff and that sort of thing. So I, I feel like I've it's been good that I've been able to refine it. And, um, you know, for, for the most part, Reddit's been pretty complimentary about it. And, uh, you know, people are willing to learn. A lot of times someone posts in the subreddit, hey, what's 75%? And I'm glad they do that instead of Googling it because... There's a 75% chance they won't see the giant bold letters at the top of that article uh, that takes them to a different one. And uh, I'm glad to have the chance to intercept them and sort of talk about it. So I'm sure if I'd started again today, I would have a a better grasp on it. You know, like all the stuff I wrote that's out there, not all of it like I I feel like is what I feel anymore. You know, so my thoughts on the whole thing are evolving. And that's, that's healthy. And people challenge me and that's healthy too. So uh, it's a thing, right? I've been talking for a really long time. I mean, we, we did ask well, you the yeah. question. You guys like all work for me. So you're afraid to like interrupt me and in that. Like, that's not good. You can't let me just go.
0: Oh, going forward, we can make sure to interrupt you plenty more. I, I do like it though. The idea is definitely very sound. You want to make sure that when you're playing with other people, you, that you're not going to completely pub stomp someone who's a bit newer to the format, but you also want to be able to hold your own against players who are a bit unknown, but also potentially going to be much more competitive. I think, though, that's a criticism that I've seen a lot. A lot of folks are of the opinion that such a deck type can't exist, that there is no such thing as a 75% because there is no deck that won't just immediately pub stomp folks who are casual and a bit newer, and that also can at all stand any chance of victory against more competitive decks.
1: Yeah, people can think that all they want, like... They just, they're just they doing their own thing in their own bubble, and I've been like refining this ethos for five years, so I don't know what to tell them.
0: I think that's just why you've had a, an article to talk about that for so long, because it is a pretty tricky spot to find, but it's definitely worthwhile to make sure that everyone has a very interactive game.
1: If I were wrong, I think everybody would be telling me I was wrong, right? Like, I can be off. I'm sure I'm off about a lot of things, and uh, hopefully, given enough time, I'll figure th- all that stuff out
2: and you're actually out there playing. I mean, you you travel around. You hit a lot of different GPS. Like you match your decks up with multiple different, you know, metas and environments. And I, I would imagine just seeing that many varied, play styles and decks, you'd also get a feel for it. And I, it, it's my observation that that your decks, seventy five percent in general, is kind of what gets played out there.
1: Yeah, I would I would say so. And I think there are a few different roles that the seventy five percent deck kind of takes at the table because it's not just like, oh, be nice to terrible players because, like, you're the insurrection guy. There's got to be an insurrection guy at the table, right? You know, there's got to be someone that's like, oh, wow, this game sucks. Let's end it. So you pack those cards to make sure the game ends, too. You have ways to end the game for everybody. Just like, let's wrap it up. It's not necessarily a thing. It's not like a two card combo that just like everyone's dead on turn three. But it's more like if there's a big intractable board state, it's like, all right, let's end this. And uh, I think that's important. If, if a game's going too long and if you don't, you're playing with people you don't know, you don't just like pack it in and be like, yeah, I bored. I've been sitting here two hours. I'm just going to go enjoy this GP. So being able to wrap it up, I think it is a role that nobody wants to take when they're with new people, necessarily people they don't know. And like, sometimes you just have to be the guy or gal who says, Hey, game's over. Let's shuffle up. Cause as much as people like playing a game where everyone at the table gets to do their thing, I think people like to play with more than one deck, too. So a 75% deck is good because, like, game one, you don't know what anybody's playing, and, like, you're going to be appropriate. But, like, if you can end that game and then everyone gets a new deck out that's appropriate for the table, you can play anything you want at that point. Yeah, So we
3: talked about that a little bit yeah. when Henry came on. Just, yeah, games got to end sometimes.
1: Games got to end. And, like, people are like, well, how... They, they think playing a card, like... Insurrection or even bribery is somehow incongruous with the. Uh, some people just get the the feeling that seventy five percent means no feel bads for anybody, and it's it's not about that. I don't like people to not be able to do anything. Like I'm, I don't want to Armageddon people with uh, with like an angel that gives all my permanents indestructible out, and then be the only one with lands and just laugh at everybody while they top deck. That's the kind of feel bads I don't like. But I'll I'll win a rub you you know, so.
2: Well, bribery is a perfect example of a card that yeah. kind of fits that ethos. It, it, it's only strong if people are packing strong creatures in their decks. Like it's, it scales based on how strong someone else is building.
1: You can. I'm not going to bribery anything you can't handle.
2: Right, yeah.
0: Or worst fears is another one as well. You're taking control of their turn, but you're only able to do whatever they would have been able to do.
1: Right. So the better their turn was going to be, the worse, worst fears hits them which is good because you can bring the, the player's farthest ahead back in line with the table.
0: Right, which I think is a pretty good segue into your Xancha deck, the one that you've nicknamed your Slaver after Mind Slaver because running things like Mind Slaver and Worst Fears is something that we see a whole lot in this Zantra deck. It's uh, it's pretty spicy. I guess to start talking about this fun deck, why Xancha? What made you choose that commander?
1: It wasn't a whole lot that excited me. Out of Commander 2018, I made a Bruteclyde deck that just like really bored me right away. And I thought I was doing something fun with it. I was using Helm of the Host to make uh, a copy of Martin Stronggold, and then making all my creatures Martin Stronggold, so they all got star, star, where star is the number of them. So you could have like nine creatures that get plus nine plus nine. You know, it gets the math gets really dumb really fast. So I, I thought that was a cute thing I came up with because normally. St- something that's legendary, like Martin Stronghold, you couldn't make a ton of copies of, but, like, Helm of the Host lets you do that. But then I have Godo and Helm of the Host in the deck, and, like, the first time I played the Bruticlide deck, I I just godot and got the Helm, and I was like, oh, this actually sucks, because the game's over. Like, I hated it. So, Estrid was cool. I liked Estrid because I had a, um, I had a, a Enchantress deck already, but it was playing stuff like Control Magic and... Tre- uh, treachery and stuff like that that was very 75 percent because i was just stealing their stuff but every time i would play control magic i would draw some extra cards too and uh that was a lot of fun and um it was Rabinius soul singer originally with enchantress stuff and then when Astra got printed i was like oh perfect but other than that there wasn't a whole lot that i really liked out of that set until i saw xancha as a an opportunity to make people do things they didn't want Like, Xantcha comes into play, and immediately you give it to an opponent of your uh, choice, right? They, They have to take it. It can't attack you, which is cool.
0: Can't attack your Planeswalkers either.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then everybody can draw cards with it, which is great, and deal that person damage. So if you're messing with that person, usually the person who's farthest ahead, why not either mess with them or mess with somebody else really bad? So I got the idea of donating permanents that people don't want other than just xantia so you have bizarre trader and you have um what are those gauntlets gauntlets of, gauntlets uh, of chaos. chaos yeah yeah and you have a harmless offering and you have some permanents that you can sacrifice a creature to make them gain control of it so um you have uh like jinx Idol, which says uh during your upkeep jinx Idol deals two damage to you sack a creature target opponent gains control of jinx Idol permanently so they can sack a creature to give it back to you or give it to somebody else, right? But what you do is you mindslaver them. So when you take control their turn, you give them Jinxed Idol and then you sack all their creatures. So like you sack a creature to give Jinxed Idol to somebody else, but with that effect on the stack, you do it again. until you wipe out their whole board. Or you donate them Azuran Orb and make them sack all their permanents. Or you donate Claws of Gix and make them sack all their permanents. Stuff like Whoa, that. Whoa, that's mean. Or K- you donate KCI you know, make them sack all their artifacts, something like that. And then it's like a, a red deck. It's got red in it, so you have a Goblin Welder, so you can get the, the Welder combo to get your um, Slaver back repeatedly and, you know, just keep doing it to, to whoever gets the farthest ahead. So you can really pull somebody's pants down with that, and I, I think that's a lot of fun. I just, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get too many people too many times with this deck, but like... When they first start to see you set up, they're not necessarily going to know exactly what you're up to and probably until it's too late.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true for me. Just looking over this deck list, there's a lot of really interesting stuff with, you know, donating cards or even stealing cards in the case of like treasure nabber, for example. But I really like that synergy where you're going to get out some simple thing like a orb, and then harmless offering, give it to someone else and take their turn and force them to lose all of their lands. That's really messed up.
1: yeah. I mean, it, it kind of is, right? It's it's kind of messed up, but like it's fun and you're going to do it to the person who's like winning. So, you don't feel too bad about it. The deck list I have up on uh, Cool Stuff, Inc. in an article called Refinements, which I'm assuming you're going to put in the show notes. That I am. It's pretty close. I've got some cards in there that I pr- I would not necessarily play. Like I'm not going to sh- like the deck I play doesn't have word of command. And some people are like, do I need a wound reflection? He did not need a wound reflection or Archfiend of Despair just went way up. Do I need that? Nah, maybe not. But I think the soul of the deck is um, doing the Bizarre Trader shenanigans, doing the Captivating Crew shenanigans. Like, I, I love stealing their stuff, which is why I play Mana Doublers like Crypt Gas to have enough mana to pump into Captivating Crew. But you steal their creature or Captivating Crew, beat them with it, and then sacrifice it to make them gain control of Jinx title. Then they got to sack another creature to, to give it back to someone else.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a pretty nasty list. What are some of the problems that you think you run into while playing the deck? Are there specific weaknesses that you're still struggling to to tackle? Oh, it's super dirty.
1: It's very mana hungry, very slow, easy to disrupt, and you have to sequence your turn perfectly to really get somebody. They can play around it if they see it coming. It's just it's dumb, right? But at the same time, you can get the you can get the situations where you're just like, well, I have the the lock here. I got the Crucible of Worlds. I got the the artifact lands. I got a uh, Goblin Welder, so I can just basically get any artifact back I want. And you can build that deck around that kind of stuff. You could include any creature you want. You could put something like Worm Coil Engine in the deck, or you know, anything that you're trying to loop artifacts with. You know, I have uh, I have stuff like Custody Lich because uh, you want to get the Monarch in play. I like that mechanic, and I think every game of Magic should, or every game of EDH should have the Monarch going around the table. That's a cool thing. And then I just have random. Stuff that make them not attack me. But everything costs like four or five mana. So like it, it takes a while to get set up. And if you're not getting mana rocks, it, it's it's really slow to start. And I feel like the infrastructure of the deck has a lot of cute stuff. So you can't run some of the stuff you need to shore up a really mana hungry deck. Maybe not enough mana rocks. Maybe not enough spells like Sign and Blood. Stuff like that that you need to smooth out those bad draws. Because if you're playing eight mana worst fears, you're going to need a lot of mana. Hopefully stuff like a uh, treasure nabber gets there. And another card that I, I really am starting to run a lot more is Aladdin. Aladdin's great for swiping mana rocks, but he's got one toughness, so he's hard to keep around.
0: Explain to plebs like me what Aladdin does, because I don't think I know that card at all. Arabian
2: Nights creature, and you can tap him yeah. to gain control of an artifact an opponent controls.
1: You pay a uh, colorless and two red, tap, gain control, target artifact... You lose control of that artifact if Aladdin leaves play or if you lose control of Aladdin. So you got to keep him alive, but like you just untap and take another thing. It's crazy.
2: And he's not a legend.
1: No, he's not a legend, which is it's kind of silly. But he's also a 50 cent Chronicles Uncommon. So that's pretty cool. Like, I feel like more people should play with Aladdin for sure. It's a very 75% card because you're not taking anything they can't deal with. Like, hey, you brought Paradox Engine into the into play, man. It wasn't me. (laughs) <laughs> i just took it before you could go off with it yeah so yeah it's kind of dirty so that's uh that's a card that isn't in this list but i would definitely run and i i run it in the the list i actually play so if i were you i would include it maybe cut mogus if you're looking at that that deck list so it's it's slow and dirty and but it's also a lot of fun too and if you if you get it to work it, it's really hilarious
0: I bet it definitely catches people off guard. I'm seeing two cards that we mentioned on a previous cast in this list, actually. Backlash and Delirium. Rakdos instance that tap a creature and deal damage equal to that creature's power to that creature's controller. Those things are really nasty, and no one ever sees them coming.
1: Yeah, those weren't in the original list, but that was in my, like, version 2.0 of the deck. I, I felt like I needed a little bit more removal, and I wanted to punish people for putting really big creatures into play. Hey, hey man I didn't uh I didn't bring out that uh, Eldrazi. that was all you so get backlashed I like curtains call a lot I like I like stuff like that, that that deals with multiple creatures and then you got like the uh you know the the no mercy type stuff that makes it less uh, appealing to attack you and more appealing to attack somebody else
0: yeah no mercy kazool different cards like that. I'm kind of curious, does having more access to things like instance matter a lot for a deck like this, as Xantra has an activated ability that you can activate at any time? Does that mean that you want to usually hold up more instant speed interaction, or...?
1: No, uh, um, I haven't found playing it that that really matters. I have very few instants in the, in the final version. I actually cut a few from... I had like six instants and I went down to five, like I just... I kept cutting them because it was just like it was just holding the stuff forever. Really, you just want to you, you're playing stuff on their turn because you mindslaver them. Like you're playing everything on their.
3: I mean, you do you do have Braid of Fire to get plenty of mana to to activate Xantras. So I don't know well, if that really, yeah,
1: yeah, Xantra or Captivating Crew, Braid yeah. of Fire is very good in the deck.
3: I love Braid of Fire. This card is so good.
1: Well, it, and it's, it's so old. It's it's a very specific thing, and I want a little yeah. bit more goblin heavy it's sort of taken in it's cause cause I wanted Mogcatcher catcher to find goblin welder, but then I was like, well, mad auntie regenerates the welder if they try to kill it. And then, Hey, Krenko gives you a, a big army and you're playing some legendary goblins in the form of Doretti and Duretti ingenious genius iconoclast. So I kind of like how I refined it into sort of having a goblin sub theme because you got matron and mod catcher to make sure you find your goblin welder or your treasure nabber or, you know, what have you, whatever you're looking for. Or or Bizarre Trader, Goblin Matron's
0: an interesting one because that, when it enters the battlefield, it searches for a goblin. And I think you mentioned that you'd been refining the 75% theory for a while, but tutors used to be kind of antithetical to that theory. But now there are certain tutors, maybe like Goblin Matron, that do fit the bill a bit better.
1: I feel like the third or fourth article I wrote was sort of like, I don't like face-down tutors. But people can play around a face-up tutor. Like, if you're face-down tutoring people, like, what is he he doing? But, like, if you're doing something harmless or you're trying to trick them, doing it face-up, it's cool. It's like doing close up sleight slide-of-hand magic, right? You know? If you're doing something right in somebody's face, it it feels better when you pull it off. Like, it's like, I'm gonna go get Bizarre Trader. And they're like, why is he getting Bizarre Trader? I was like, well, that's that's what I did with Mod Catcher. You could have stopped me. But you just let it happen because you didn't know what I was doing. And then, surprise. So I, I kind of think face-up tutors, I've kind of thought though those were fine, like, the whole time. But you just got to be careful about playing tutors that are a second copy of another card. Because I think that introduces linearity. I would rather have toolbox tutors than uh, second copy tutors. So something like Mogcatcher in this deck gets Treasure Nabber or Mad Ante or Krenko or Goblin... Welder or um, Bizarre Trader. So, like, having a bunch of different targets, you know, being able to go get what you need versus, like, well, here's my second copy of Paradox Engine. Like, I, I think that's a little bit more fun in a little bit. I think you don't want to make your deck bad or underpowered to make it 75%. I think, if anything, you are going to make it less consistent. And you make it less consistent by not having ways to draw a ton of cards and tutors. I think if you have one or the other, okay, if the tutors are like toolbox tutors. But I think if you're just winning the same way every time, that gets kind of boring, which is the problem I'm having with my Simic decks lately.
3: I was say, speaking of Simic, one question that I, I had just from following you on Twitter, you're always talking about different Simic commanders, how they're always, one is broken, the other one's even more broken, etc. How do you transition and kind of weigh decision-making processes like that switching from one commander to another within the color schemes. I know Simic, you're always comparing Simic commanders against each other. What's your thought process on seeing a new commander come out in a similar color?
1: I, um, well, I just think about like, Zony's a bad Marin, right? Like there's no point in building a Zoni if you have Marin. And like the whole time you're building in a Zoni deck, you're like, this is a bad Marin deck. I don't want to build a bad version of another deck. And I think, Simic decks play differently enough, like almost all of them. They're all they have the problem that like, well, you got the best mana and the best card drawing and like the best permission and like so that's cool. Um so it's kind of hard to lose when you're the best at everything that is important. So like the infrastructure of the deck is like always pretty samey. And then you're just you have the mana and the time and the cards you need to execute your strategy, which is like the rest of the deck. So that's I feel like Simic decks kind of are feeling samey to me just because you're getting to what you want to do so quickly that it's just like the, the beginning of the game is always just like get a ton of mana before everybody else is set up and then counter one thing and then they're screwed for two turns while they try to figure out what to do.
0: Yeah, that that resonates with my experiences with Simic as well. Something like Tatiova, you want to get a bunch of lands into play because it gets a bunch of cards in your hand. But that's how my Crufix decks, that's how that works too, because I'm getting a bunch of mana and then a bunch of cards into my hand. So there's quite a lot of thematic overlap there.
1: But I don't care about being good. Like You should have good decks. and My Tatiova deck is very good, but the problem is when I goldfish it, I will take a six-minute turn goldfishing and not win. And that that just sucks. Nobody should watch you play magic by yourself for six minutes unless you're you're done. You know, they should be w- waiting for you to whiff and then you lose because you stretch yourself to. That's how you that's how like legacy and stuff like that is. Right. Those combo decks yeah. are like just waiting for you to whiff. And then if they whiff, you add yourself down to two and you're just going to get killed by a goblin guide. So there's a trade off there in 88. You're gonna watch me take a six-minute turn, and then I got way more lands than you, and then you can't punish me for not winning. It's like, well, let's just wait for it to go around the table again. I'll take another seven-minute turn. And I'll probably win, unless I don't. Like I, I feel embarrassed playing that, you know. So maybe I should build Rashmi or Kumena, because I'm seeing all these Simic commanders that I never really locked in on before. That like, oh, that's what I. I think I should just build like a Kumena deck or something like, or Rashmi, something that's a little bit different but still kind of the same, like maybe experiment crash. I don't know. Like I, I feel like there are Simic decks out there that are kind of what I want to be about, but like I'm not just building them because I it's probably my fault that all my decks feel the same because I'm gravitating towards the same commanders.
0: I think you've even mentioned that your Tesa Karlov list feels like a Simic deck. It too. is a
1: Simic deck. You're just doubling like <laughs> your doubling season is called Anointed Procession slash uh, Grave Pack with out. Like it, it feels simicky, but like I like it but like yeah you're you're basically a semic deck with bad mana and um I'm still going to huh. play this stupid deck cuz I like it a lot but like yeah it, it feels it feels Simic-y, and I kind of want to be doing other stuff sometimes right I don't want to have five copies of a Simic deck in my bag and uh that's why I like the zancha deck cuz it sucks and I don't win with it but sometimes you will insurrection or um disrupt the corum and just win and <laughs> sometimes you oh. will take everybody's creatures with captivating crew and sacrifice them to jinx title. And sometimes you'll just burn somebody with Zant super bad because you have a wound reflection. So I like, uh, I like stolen strategy. I like uh captivating crew. I like stealing their stuff because they don't have it. And uh, then you do have it. And that's a two <laughs> point <laughs> swing in your favor in terms of creature having. Right. So
3: I would say it sounds like, The 75% theory and just how you like to play decks in general minus Simic is you like just having different experiences, not the same thing over and over, not tutoring for the same thing every game, having a different experience because you toolboxed for a different, you know, support piece. Is that kind of a good way to sum up how you prefer to at least do it?
1: Yeah. Like if you are asking, is my deck 75% and it has a lab maniac in it? No. No.
0: That's a, a, a pretty easy line to draw, probably. Yeah, the theory is all about avoiding linearity and having a different experience, not just within one deck for every different game that it plays, but also across all of your decks. That's really important. And it's honestly sometimes really challenging to find because there's a lot of overlap between a whole bunch of commanders.
1: And I think some people see some of the conclusions I came to early and they ascribe a different thought process to them. And it took me a while to flesh that out in a different article. So I can forgive people for making some assumptions about seventy five percent. Certainly, I don't get mad at people when they're wrong, and I like I'm glad they're talking about it on Reddit where I can see it. You know, you know, I kind of explained what how I felt about tutors, which is like you're just a second copy of another card that sucks. Like you're, you know. So I don't dislike Lab Maniac because it's too good or like hard to interact with or whatever. I, I just don't like it because like you're always winning with Lab Maniac. I have. Um, I was so excited to build uh, Kaidel and Thrasios, right? I was super jazzed. I was like, oh, you know, you can play in truder Alarm and Umbral Mantle and all this junk. So when you like brainstorm, your Kydel is drawing you all these cards and then it fuels Thrasios, which makes Kaidel tap for more mana. And then I was just like, I was lab manning every game. I was drawing my whole deck because I was getting infinite mana on like turn five and then just drawing my whole deck. And that sucked. And I was like, this deck's good, but like, who cares? I don't, I don't like that experience. I would, I would much rather like Vanifar. I saw Vanifar and I was like, yes, this will be a toolbox deck. And I just still build a stupid pod chain. Even me, even me being like, yes, it's a toolbox commander. I still build a dumb pod chain in it just because like, well, you're gonna, if you have a alarm, just go in the game with Craterhoof, I guess. Like, it, I don't know. It's tempting.
0: That was something that Dana brought up as well when we were talking about Vanifar on our set review for Ravnica Allegiance, that Vanifar, it certainly looks fun and it could be very toolboxy, but inevitably it also could lead people, when you're starting to optimize those decks, it's going to lead people to do very linear things.
1: That's why Vanifar is not getting... All anybody wanted to talk about release week was Vanifar. Vanifar this, Vanifar that, oh, Intruder Alarm's going up, oh, people are buying Thornbite Staff. It was all cards for Vanifar. And if you look on ADH Tase is getting, getting built more and Nikia is getting built more.
0: Even Nikia? Really?
1: Yep. Nikia with a huge drawback versus Vanifar with a $15 big, stupid tent post of the set sort of powerful Simic thing. Everyone's like, ah, I would rather play a creature that only lets me play creatures than play something that linear. And I'm not knocking Vanifar per se. It's just not what I want to be about anymore. Like, I, I feel like I already have a Vanifar deck i already have two or three of them you know i'm not doing a pod chain i'm playing 37 extra lands and i'm like oh i don't want lab maniac but like i realized that i'm just killing people with um oh that that five drop star star that whenever you draw a card you ping everybody whatever that is psychosis crawler that's the lab maniac in my tatiova deck I, i realized after i won like eight games with it so it's I'm just complaining about the decks I'm building and the miserable experiences I'm having. And it's my <laughs> fault. It is your fault. But I think that that's such a trap you fall into. Cause I love, I'm, I identify as Simic, you know, like that's what I want to be about. I got good man and good card drawing. I bought a pre con for $12. So I could get a copy of mystic snake in it. Like that's who I was when I was 13. That's who I've always been. So, like, I I guess I just fell into a, a, a trap I set for myself or something. I don't know.
2: But but it makes for an interesting comparison, like hearing Jason explain what he likes out of the game. And then you hear, you know, Don, we had Don Minor on two weeks ago and Don talking about the things that he wants when he builds a deck. And you guys have very kind of different end goals. Don, to a degree, is wanting Don to. Don doesn't
1: want people to play Magic.
2: Well, he doesn't want anyone playing anything remotely. Well, he wants him to not play, but he also like wants to be doing a thing with his deck that nobody else is doing. Like That's important to him as well, to be playing a deck that's unique from everyone around him. And that's not a factor for you.
1: Uh, yeah, but uh, Dawn has come up with 15 unique, different, innovative ways to make <laughs> a stack, all stack. Stacks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like, wow, I've never seen anybody use Tenifa like that. Oh, it's a stack stack. You just sundered me with all your lands phased out? You suck. Like, <laughs> everything's, and he, like, I really, Vegas is here. He, like, had that epiphany. He's like, oh, my God, all my decks are stacks. <laughs> Everyone's like, yes, that's what we've been saying.
0: Well, I mean, you guys probably aren't that dissimilar, to be honest. I mean, yes, there's a difference in philosophy that you're noting there, Dana. But at the same time, Jason has come on to this show talking about his zancha deck, where he gives people things like Zoranorb, takes control of their turn, and then gets rid of all of their lands. <laughs> right, yeah. So Jason, are you sure that you're not secretly Don Miner?
1: Hey, you know who I'm gonna z- mindslaver is Don Miner. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be the only person with lands, Tannifo? Well, guess what? You're getting an orb, son. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then I'm getting fired. So <laughs> 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 it's fine. No, he can't fire you. You, you mindslavered him. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm gonna get a raise. I'll mindslaver you and sign a paycheck. That's good. That's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> I'm not letting Matt bar my Xantera deck. He'll mindslaver me and make me hire him back. You're still fired, Matt.
3: <laughs> Hey, that was my Christmas present, was oh. having a job again.
1: Yeah, but I feel like i fired you since then, right? No, that I was
3: think, Actually,
1: that was me that got fired. That oh, it's so hard to keep track if you miscreants. Well, yeah. if you I'm the only to... one
3: that has a job still, I think. For now. I'll say if you cared about any of us, it would be so much easier.
1: <laughs> if I could tell the difference between you. We, we all look alike. Those authors. That's true. Those people, says Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Writers.
2: <laughs> righty fellas, how
0: about we challenge some statistics? We're gonna take a look at cards on EDH rec that are either seeing too much play or maybe seeing too little play. Dana, do you want to start us off?
2: I absolutely can. I've got a card here that I have I think mentioned in the past, but whenever I look to see how many decks it's in, I'm always a little bit surprised. I think it should be in more. Glimpse of Nature. Now We've been kind of chastised in the past for mentioning semi-expensive cards, and I will note Glimpse is a $15 card, and it's also fairly old. It's from Kamigawa, so we're talking, what, 10 to 12 years? No, probably more than 10, probably closer to 12. So it's also not a card you probably see in a lot of binders, but it's in just over 1,000 decks in EDH Rack for a one-mana spell that says whenever you play a creature spell, this turn, draw a card. It's 1,000 decks for a one-mana spell that in a whole lot of decks is going to draw you two cards really, really frequently, and that's at the bottom end. There's probably plenty of Elf decks that are going to be drawing three or four pretty frequently. Uh, I just feel like there's there's decks, whether it's the new—what uh, was a new commander that is encouraging you to play creature spells? Nikia. That I'm just forget Nikia or, or things like Rurik Thar.
3: You can't play this
2: in a Nikia deck.
3: You can play just not with Nikia out, I guess. Right. You can play it, then play Nikia.
2: There are plenty of decks that are like encouraging you. In, in generally speaking, green would be one of them, where you want to run really, really deep on creatures. And while green has good draw spells, it doesn't really have good cheap draw spells. It doesn't have those like one or two mana cantrips like blue has to filter you down. I think glimpse should just be in more decks than a, than, than a thousand decks in EDH rack. I think it's a it, it can be a bomb. So it's got a pretty high floor and it's got a really high ceiling. And I think it should be in more than a thousand decks.
1: There's um some price memory going on with this because while it's down to like fifteen bucks now, this peaked at like thirty when uh Elfdex were playing this in um Legacy. In I'm Legacy, saying.
3: yeah. Yeah, it was it was all over the place. Span and modern,
1: so definitely legacy, yeah.
0: I think that especially kind of sets the stage for how people expect this card to work. People expect this to be a combo engine of a spell. But it can also, like Dana mentioned, just be used to draw maybe two or three cards or something in a pretty low-cost elf deck. And that's there's nothing to sneeze at that. I mean, that's pretty respectable.
1: People don't like to have to be constrained to that one turn also. People like—they uh, would rather play something like Beast Whisper or like that— big like six drop from uh restored the harvest Soul the harvest yeah people like that kind of stuff it's permanent If you can play something with flesh on their turn you get the benefit glimpse of nature is kind of like i'm gonna have a big turn but like the other stuff people are playing it's not 30 bucks or you know 15 now but like price memory right people still see this as a, a very expensive card i think people like to have permanent stuff so i I can see it. I can see why it's uh, in like a thousand decks or fewer on EDH Rack. This just doesn't really feel like an EDH card to me.
0: I guess your challenge stats got challenged there, Daniel. Yeah,
2: no kidding. I am I, a fan of it. I, I do run it in a deck, and it, it's a card I put in a deck for those big turns, but I've really been pleasantly surprised by the small turns where I just draw two cards because I feel like green just really is lacking the option to do that. It does have plenty of haymakers, but... But the, the small draw stuff, like the sign and blood you mentioned earlier, Jason, is what green tends to lack. And that's where I think Glim- Glimpse really shows up. But maybe that's not something people want to spend $15 on, too. And that's
0: also quite fair. All right, I'm going to move on to my challenge of stats. This is also a one-mana card, but it is a one-mana artifact. That's the card Wayfarer's Bobble. I think we all know this one because it's seeing play in like 14,000, almost 15,000 EDH decks. Uh, but it's a pretty artifact. One mana artifact, you can tap two and tap it, sacrifice it, and you search a library for a basic land card and put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. I don't think this is necessarily seeing too little play in general, but I do think it's seeing too little play in mono black decks. The reason that I like this in mono black is because of the classic Cabal coffers. You want as many basic swamps as you can possibly get on that battlefield. So in a mono-black deck, I would prefer to run this over something like a Mind Stone or a Commander Sphere because getting more swamps onto the battlefield will make your Cabal Coffers and your Cabal Stronghold all that more potent. This is very overlooked. Everyone's usually quick to go to the staples like Commander Sphere, but don't overlook this one. It's not showing up in really a lot of mono-black decks at all, and it definitely needs to.
3: I like it. I run it in my tasa deck. I run it in a few decks actually that aren't running a lot of green. Uh, it's just a good way to, to get some extra lands on the battlefield. Yeah, I think
2: it probably is in more of my non-green decks than it isn't. And if it isn't in one, it's because I had to make a painful cut at some point because it was probably in there or it was, you know, in the top 105 when I was cutting down. So I, I'm a big fan of the card as well.
3: Yeah, it's, it's not as good as Expedition Map, but it's also, you know, a quarter compared to five bucks.
2: And it feels a little bit of a different role, too, because Xmap can get anything uh, and doesn't re-ramp, really whereas this is actually putting you lands ahead.
0: Right, I just think that, you know, I'm looking at the Cabal Coffers page on EDHREC right now, and among the top cards for Cabal Coffers, you see Expedition Map shows up in a lot of the same decks that run Cabal Coffers, and so does Solemn Simulacrum, because Solemn Simulacrum goes and fetches you a swamp, which you would need to help fuel your Cabal Coffers. I just also think that Wayfarer's Bobble should show up there too, because getting basic swamps is really important. And it's also nice to be able to maybe drop the Wayfarer's Bobble on turn one and then crack it on turn two. That can also help, you know, you keep up with all those green decks as well, while you're waiting to get to the big Cabal Coffers mana. So it's just a very small adjustment, but I think it's a great improvement. Matt, what's your challenge?
3: So my challenge is actually a, a Nikia pick kind of like Dana's was. So it's only in 27% of Nikia decks so far, so it's not showing up in great numbers. Even more appalling, it's only in 182 decks total. So it's a spell shaper from Arcadian Masks. It's Hammer Mage, which is a, a 1-1 spell shaper for one and a red. Pay X red and tap it. Discard a card from your hand Destroy all artifacts with converted mana cost X or less. Nikia doesn't let you cast spells, but this is still a good way to get a spell type of effect. Still going down a card, but you're wiping the board. You're kind of getting a mini Vandal Blast almost. Um, I really like these types of effects. I was playing around with, uh, I think it's Stronghold Spell Shaper. You can pay two and discard a card to counter a, non-target or a non-creature spell. These types of effects we've talked about a couple times, and every time I see a new one, I really like them.
1: They're really good. I think Josh Lee has mentioned uh, Hammer Mage specifically, if not uh-huh. on the cast, on Twitter. Dawn is one that actually saw some legacy play. That's the um, the rare one that is a fog when you pitch a card. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. chances are you don't need to run every single land out if you've got spell shapers in your deck. You probably got lands just sitting there in your hand. There's uh, the other one, um, Dream, the, the blue one from uh, Planar Chaos is. Uh, Dreamscape Artist? Dreamscape Artist, and that was a remake of a green card. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was like a Faria Seer or something like that from like a Mirage. But like uh, that kind of thing, pitching a land and going to get two more lands and putting them into play tapped, unless you have an amulet of vigor, is uh, you know, an engine that I use in my Tatiova deck.
3: Of course you do.
1: Yeah, uh, especially with Retreat to Coral Coralhelm. Uh, you can kind of see why I hate playing it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> cool, I magicked.
2: I think the spell shapers kind of suffer from people, particularly newer players, not really understanding how it works. They kind of look at it as, well, I'm losing a card to get this effect. And you really need to think of it as you're, you're getting the effect by turning the card into something that is more useful to you. Yeah, definitely. And I think if people can't shake the fact that they're losing a card. I, I think it's a lot of that is mental, a lot of the problem with spell shapers, particularly among new players who didn't see them played in standard back in the day.
0: It can be pretty gross to rep those on the field, too, because then, especially with the Hammer Mage, people just can't play Artifacts from that point. Yeah. They'll just destroy them. I think that's a really good pick for Nikia. Since you're right, you can't play spells, but you can play Spell Shapers.
3: Yeah, definitely. And one of my favorite Spell Shapers was Magetta the Lion. That was a Wrath of God on a stick. Um, I played that in my Tajik deck all the time.
1: That that whole cycle was so good. Grill the Mindraker and um, yeah, Jorail Empress of Beast. Even uh, to the Zephyr Mage. <laughs> I challenged myself to uh, t- to pick one of the commanders that had zero decks on EDH rec one of the times I did a deck. And, uh, you know, being able to bounce, like, X permanents is uh, pretty good. So, like, that whole cycle is pretty good.
0: All righty, Jason, time for your challenge.
1: I have a very 75% pick here. Um, this is a card that's in under 3,000 decks, and it is basically a $2 bribery. The card is Acquire. Search a target opponent's library for an artifact card. Put that card into play under your control. Then that player shuffles his or her library. You can use that to remove a uh, combo piece for their deck before they can tutor for it. You can get a mana rock uh, or a big mana rock if they have something like uh, the, the Gilded Lotus. Or you could just like uh, take an artifact creature. So it's basically a bribery half the time if you're going to take something like a Blaisdell Colossus or something. So Acquire is very, very underplayed. You know, maybe it's just because blue has so many ways to do stuff like this. Like I, I like repeatable stuff like thought Adele, Acquisitor or like Memnarch, but uh, Acquire's just it's way underplayed. And even me, I don't play it enough, but like you can get a good artifact creature. You can remove and deprive them of their combo piece or you can um, just just take something you need to advance your board. So uh, acquire is very versatile, m- more versatile than bribery sometimes even. And uh, it's like two bucks on card kingdom or TCG player.
2: Kind of like the spell shapers, like I think the way you want to look at a choir is the worst case scenario for it is probably you're grabbing someone's Thrend Dynamo or something. Like there's gonna be a mana rock that's you know, four or five mana probably in someone's deck. That's the worst case scenario. You can just think of it as, oh, I'm running a mana rock here and I'm in the process of playing it, I'm stealing someone else's card from their library. And that's probably the worst case scenario.
1: I mean, the best case scenario is like a blightsteel. Like there's there are very good cases for this card. And uh, I mean, bribery is always a creature, but uh, sometimes acquire is too. And sometimes you just get their paradox engine and they can't go off. So, yeah, I like it. And uh, I should play it more. I should lead by example. I should play more Aladdins and acquires and I should I should do all that. But um, you should too, listeners play more acquire (laughs) Or, or else.
0: So then I also have to ask, since we've discussed Bribery and Acquire, there's another spell sort of in this kinda-ish cycle, and that's Knowledge Exploitation. Five blue-blue, and it steals uh, an instant or a sorcery from an opponent's library and casts that for free. What do you think of that one?
1: Oh, I use that too, yeah. Um, it's got a prowl cost, I believe.
0: Yeah, you can cast it for cheaper if you've hit someone with a rogue this turn. Because
1: it's like a six drop. Yeah, I've uh, I've put that in deck lists before. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I like all that kind of stuff. You know, um, I, I like uh, Praetor's Grasp. Praetor's Grasp is played in twice as many decks as Acquire, probably because black doesn't have as many ways to do that kind of stuff as blue does. So blue just might like you just got an embarrassment of stuff, like how many Acquire or Bribery effects do you really want to run in your deck? But despite the fact that blue does this pretty well, I still think Acquire is something that people could be using more. And um, I think people should run Thought Adel more because like, yeah, you have to pay the mana to get that stuff but like Island Walk is going to be relevant in almost 100% of your game. Someone's going to have an island and someone's going to have a soul ring. So Thought of Adele is basically like a free soul ring on a stick and then it gets to be more stuff. So play with air cards. I've talked about this before on, uh, uh, on a few other podcasts, but when I was in high school, I read Sun Tzu's The Art of War and there's a passage where he says a bushel of my enemy's grain is worth 20 bushels of my grain. And I was like, oh, I get it. You know, <laughs> you're you think about it as like maybe twice as good, but bribery is not just twice as good. Bribery is a tutor and a control magic and, you know, like their best creature. It's it's amazing. So I think bribery might be 20 times as good as um as like playing your own big creature. So uh, acquire is maybe 20 times as good as just playing your own Thrand Dynamo. Who knows?
0: Yeah, it's definitely fun when you steal their Thrain Dynamo and then you use it to cast your own Gilded Lotus. There
1: you go. So, yeah, there's going to be a target because who's playing an artifactless deck? So another question's
0: actually coming to my mind here, guys. We've asked a lot of questions, you know, about Jason and his thoughts on 75% and, you know, where he likes to keep his deck's power level. But Matt, Dana, I guess I should have asked, where do you guys like to keep yours? Matt, I especially know that you're pretty competitive.
3: I'm pretty competitive, but... We've also talked a couple times about how I I play like a spike, but I build like a Timmy. My my deck building mindset is more I want to have an experience, and I want to play commander to get away from the cutthroat modern legacy games that I normally play. So sh- I probably don't optimize the way I should. There are sometimes you know I'll, I'll talk to you guys on the cast and say you know this card isn't really working out. I need something else. But for the most part, I don't like a bunch of tutors. I want to have a different experience because. So many of my legacy, so many of my modern games. I play Infect in both formats, so every game is pretty much the same anyways. Either I win or lose in five minutes. So for me, Commander's a chance to get as many different experiences out there as I can. So I try to shy away from too many tutors and just kind of, yeah, have fun. Do the big explosive things and random things that I can't do in other formats. That's kind of what I treat Commander as. So, yeah, I I guess you could kind of say I play a little 75%, not necessarily on purpose, but it just kind of does end up happening that way.
1: What a suck-up answer.
3: I'm just, <laughs> wow. just, just saying. I, I this like, guy
1: wants his job back.
3: I do. Dana, what about you?
2: I, I think I kind of run my own personal variation that keeps me roughly in the 75% power level bracket. Like I'm not afraid to run a power card. I have you know decks that have a mana crypt in them, and I have decks that have... Necropotence in them. But I also tend to have enough other roadblocks that I've baked into my deck, whether it's saying that, you know, my Glissa deck, I'm only allowing myself to run Death Touch creatures, or, you know, I, I don't run clones in my Sphinx deck or, or anything that isn't a Sphinx. I just, I'm, I'm only running Sphinxes. I'm not like shortcutting and saying, oh, there's a Trinket Mage in here so I can go get an artifact. It's just only Sphinxes. Or my Enchant- Enchantress deck has no creatures that don't interact with enchantments. So I, I tend to maybe run a few cards that are more powerful than what Jason would run in a deck, but I think I build in other um, speed bumps that slow me down in other places that kind of offset that. And I also think one of the things about tutors, I, I've noticed I tend to not run cards that are things I want to frequently get with a tutor. Like When I cast Demonic Tutor, most of the time I'm going to grab Phyrexian Arena or something along those lines. Like I, I tend to not have cards that win me the game that are worth going to get so i think again that makes me feel not too bad about you know having a demonic tutor or two in decks because i'm almost always using them to go grab that damnation because someone else is popping off or going to grab the back to nature because the enchantress player is getting out of control so i tend to use my tutors just to get answers as well and i think that's a a product of how i built my decks
1: i got some bad news for you You just like exactly described exactly building 75 percent because there's no power level limitation on the cards you run. I don't limit myself on the power level at all. I tend to skew towards inconsistency, inconsistency rather than skewing away from power. In fact, if you read the eight simple rules article and maybe everybody could use a refresher, even me, I I say building around a theme will keep the power level from skewing too high. That's one of the first eight rules I came up for this.
2: Yeah, that's my favorite way to check myself is have that that theme rule baked in right away.
1: You can play, you can go as hard as you want with the best possible card. You can play that Mana Crypt in a theme deck, right? Because you are limiting your card pool in a different way, not on power level, but you're limiting yourself on thematics, which means you're building more synergistically, which means you're going to have to have a, a strategy versus you're playing a card that just sort of is generally very good. So that's actually one of the eight ways, the first eight ways I came up to build is like, hey, if you're playing all Death Touch creatures or something like that, you have to include the best cards you possibly can. You have to run that detutor because what are you detutoring for? A creature with Death Touch, right? It's like you're doing Glissa combo stuff, but you're also limiting yourself a little bit. So for a while there, I caught myself almost always building tribal decks, and that was sort of a crutch. Because you're like, well, that's the stuff's got to be all tribal and that's got to be stuff that interacts with this tribe. But it doesn't have to be tribal. It can be anything. It can be like you said, it's got to be something that uh, interacts with enchantments or it's got to be legendary for your recce deck, something like that. So actually you described without even knowing it exactly one of the the eight kind of goals I aim at when I'm building 75 percent. So like I think without even knowing it, you've been building that way all along. Hey, Matt, that's how you kiss butt.
3: I, you, got, you got a little something on your nose. It, exactly. it looks brown. See, you do it. They,
2: they don't even realize you're doing it.
1: Hmm. Well, I thought you okay. were incompetent, so that, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's six of
2: one, a half dozen or the other. <laughs> So,
0: Jason, I have a question for you just sort of based off of my experiences trying to practice around that philosophy and and hit a good mark. Like, something that I shoot for is definitely interactive games, and having less linear strategies definitely helps accomplish that. But since I don't run into, you know, players out in the wild all that often, I tend to stick with just the groups of friends that I have that play the game. And I, I guess I don't notice as much like an adherence or a desire to stick to something like a 75% theory because I know exactly what decks I'm likely to go up against, and I don't feel as though I have to, you know, make specific choices to not immediately pub stomp a more casual meta, for example, because I, I know my meta and I know how competent they are. Do you think that like involvement in playgroups at all affects the, the way that you should be building with that theory in mind?
1: I've said very explicitly many times, but we're talking 12 times over 250 articles, maybe, <laughs> you know, but I, anytime anyone asks me about it, I think if you have a play group, you don't need to bother building 75%. Just tune to the power level of the play group or the consistency level or just pick a power level uh, appropriate deck for your play group because you know what's going on with that. Um, 75% is is appropriate for people you don't know because you have no idea what to expect. So you got to run stuff like... Fettle can shackles because you don't know what kind of creature is getting windmilled out there. So if you have a playgroup, I wouldn't bother 75%. But a lot of people are like, my playgroup is 75%. So if that's a nice benchmark, sort of, for the the level your group's at, fine. But also I keep saying levels, but there are no levels. There's just there's what's going on, right? And you know what's going on with your own group. So I wouldn't bother trying to build 75%. Cause mm-hmm. 75% was born out of a desire not to have a deck I wanted to play sit in my bag because I didn't know if I could bust it out. If you're with your friends or your play group or even like your LGS and you, you kind of know what's going on, the deck's not going to sit in the bag because you don't know. You know It might sit in the bag because it's definitely not appropriate, but you're not going to have a situation where you're going to have a very inappropriate deck for what's going on um, if you know what's what your play group is, so... Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I wouldn't bother if you have a regular group or it's people you know or, you know, something like that.
0: Yeah, well, they are darn good players and they make me better too because they keep beating me and it's very annoying. Well,
1: step your game up. You deserve
3: to lose. <laughs> exactly.
0: Alrighty, is there anything else that we'd like to touch on before we wrap up the show?
1: Can I have my job back for, for
3: reals permanently?
1: <laughs> um, We'll talk about it. Maybe if you kiss butt like Dana, you know. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine.
0: all right. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming onto the show, talking about that 75 percent theory. There's a whole lot going into it. And also the Xantra deck. It looks really fun. I like that you give people stuff, take control of their minds and then make them kill themselves with all the stuff that you gave them.
1: Yeah, no one sees that coming. No one realizes that uh, I, I think people don't put two and two together when you give them a Jinx title that you're going to sack all their creatures to it instead of just one.
0: Yep. It's really, really gross. On that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all?
1: Jason? I'm on the Twitter at Jason E. Alt. I'm a writer for CoolStuffInc.com and MTGPrice.com. I like how I say .com like of course. I, don't, I write for Duelist Magazine. Yeah, I'm, I write for websites, guys. MTG Price and CoolStuffInc. Uh, I'm the content manager, which means I am these guys' colleague. I don't want to say boss. I can't fire them for real. Um, so I fired Matt and he kept coming to work. So I guess I'm their colleague uh, at EDHREC. Or, or I'm your Milton. Yeah. You just Bartleby the Scrivener like, clear out your desk. You're like, I prefer not to. So, um, <laughs> yep. Matt Milton be pretty hard. Um, so I, I managed to content on edhrec.com. If you have a, a unique idea for a series that can help contextualize the data on EDH EDHREC, uh, maybe you should send me an email email or a tweet and uh you know find out if you are someone who uh, could write for the site we are always entertaining new pitches Uh, i'm on the brainstorm brewery magic finance podcast i'm on the money draft magic lifestyle podcast and i have with other magic podcaster john dunning at orzov dunn on twitter uh started a podcast called director's cut where we talk about movies and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm a busy person and, uh, I like being involved in this community. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I helped start. (laughs)
0: Thank you so much for helping us start this podcast that you're now on and thanking us for helping to start.
1: That is wow. That's eating its own tail, isn't it?
0: (laughs) All right. And Matt, how about you? Where can listeners find you?
3: You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus 55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S 5-5.
0: Our list of accolades is much shorter than our content menu. You've heard mine before, and Dana, how though? about you?
2: You've heard mine a million times. <laughs> you can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me once a week on the other show, CMDR Central.
0: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Pedal, also known as Kenneth You can follow him on Twitter at loader. That's L-O-A-D 3R. You can follow EDH Trek and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at edhreckcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes, and if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast too. This cast is posted every week on the community content spotlight section of Trek, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck
2: and we're out I'm just kind of in awe of Jason just casually dropping a Bartleby the Scrivener joke like he's a Dennis Miller and no one catches it (laughs) hey man you don't read Melville
1: not familiar with Melville's short stories circa 1876 I, my teacher asked me to read Bartleby the Scrivener, and I said I prefer not to. <laughs> that is that is a deep cut, Jason. They made a movie with uh, with Crispin did, Glover. Did they really? Yeah, he just like showed up in an office building, and he was like sleeping there. Like they kept trying to fire him, and he's like, I prefer not to. Cut to, cut to.